at each stage of our journeys, we're being given such profound gifts of experience and and um, growth. You know, when we look at our kids, for those of us who have kids, would you ever look at your six-year-old and say, you know, when you were three, that was just a real mistake. Like, like can we just take the three-year-old experience and just chuck it? Because like, you just kept falling and you were like drooling and you just kept peeing yourself. Like, no, we don't say that. You know, this when we when we can reframe things into this language of becoming, there is so much more grace to include it and just be grateful for it. Well, that was Bree Stoner. She is a musician and a writer, and she's the co-host of the brand new podcast called Another Name for Everything, in which she and Paul Larson interview Richard Rohr about his brand new book, The Universal Christ. It is such a fascinating podcast, and Bree provides so much great content and questions as she interviews Richard that I wanted to get in touch with her and find out more about her, and she did not disappoint. We talked all about transcending and including. We talked about mindfulness. We talked about her, um, the way that Richard Rohr, his writings and his person has influenced her. Uh, she's a graduate of the two-year program called the Living School for action and contemplation put on by Father Roar. And so I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I really did. I felt like it could have gone on for hours and hours. So uh, please meet my new friend, Bree Stoner, and then check out the podcast, which I'll include in the show notes. It's called Another Name for Everything, and it features the writing of Father Richard Roar. Enjoy the podcast. I'm here with Bree Stoner. Hi, Bree. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Man, I, so, okay, when I started listening to um, the podcast that you are hosting right now um, with Richard Rohr, I thought, Bree Stoner, man, I know that name. I totally know that name. Who do I? Uh-oh. No, yeah, no, 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 no. I know. I, and, and I remember listening to your music way back in the NUMA days. So mm-hmm. I was into the NUMA films and loved the music that you put out. Uh, and so I'm like, that has to be the same woman, I think. And, and of course it was. So, yay. Thank um, you so much. Yeah, that feels like a million years ago. But well, yeah, yeah. I bet it does because it does for me too. I mean, that really like in the world, that NUMA feels like, and Rob Bell doing NUMA feels like a million years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, gosh. Okay, so um, this is totally a Krista Tippett question, but it's a great one. Uh, can you do it? Can you do it in her voice? Oh, no, I can't. Yeah. Okay. So, Brie, no, I, I absolutely <laughs> cannot. I cannot. Uh, no one, no one should even try. Um, but what, uh, what is your spiritual background? Can we, can we start there? Yeah, of course. So, I grew up actually as a as a Baptist missionary kid. Um, my my parents were evangelical Baptist with the, let me see if I can get this right, ABWE was the mission that they were a part of, um, American Baptist Worldwide Evangelical. We know what our mission is, which is to convert everyone <laughs> yes. to the right religion. Yes. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, so, my, so I grew up in, in a very uh, theologically conservative, uh, you know, kind of upbringing and box. Yeah. But my parents were... You know, I mean, they were unusually gifted and sort of predisposed to go about it in a radically different way. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad had grown up as a missionary himself. Uh, his his parents were missionaries, so he was a missionary kid. So, you know, his and my mom's approach was all about cultural engagement and mm-hmm. how to support and honor the culture that they were moving into, which in our case was Madrid, Spain. And uh, actually, we started in Saragossa, Spain, and then moved to Madrid. But the idea being service of the local community as opposed to just straight up, we're going to save you. Mm -hmm. And um, so they actually created uh, youth centers for young people to have a place to go to after Mm -hmm. school. They created basketball tournaments. Uh, They worked together with the Spanish government to to essentially create an anti-drug movement. And... Yeah. And then there were members of our community who had AIDS that my mom took care of in the hospital. So, hmm. so interestingly enough, while 
while the uh, theology was very much about the right thing to believe with your mind and the right conversion steps with the Romans road to get there, they were, they were kind of living out, they were living something else out that was broader, more inclusive, uh, less about proselytizing and more about love. Yeah, it sounds like they were sort of flying under the radar, right? In like within, you know, within a movement yeah. that was very much the Romans road. Oh my gosh, that just brings chills in a bad way to my spine. Yeah. But um, but that. So, how old were you when you lived in Madrid? Yeah, so I, we went over to um, to Spain when I was six months old, and we left when I was twelve. Oh wow! So, so that's very so formative. Right. I don't have a ton of memories of the first six months of being an American, but I have a yeah. ton of memories of feeling like I was just like every other Spanish kid that I was friends with in my class. Yeah. And so my first language was was actually Spanish and, and, a, and a very uh, uh, motley combo of Spanglish. And then, you know, my parents decided to speak English in the home and Spanish mm. outside to kind of create some distinction. And yeah. Um, yeah. So to this day, to this day, Steve, it's my shame that I don't have a really sweet ass <laughs> Penelope Cruz accent. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have no accent. Um, yeah, it's too bad. Well, you know, gosh, 12, 12 is tough. Like if you would have stayed until 17 or so, I think probably you would have nailed that thing and you would have kept it for the rest of your life. I mean, you would have had yeah, it. But no, I couldn't, I couldn't have an accent because we spoke English. Oh, got it, got it, got so it. My, so my parents and you know their their emphasis of only speaking English at home mm -hmm. is part of what led to the the absence of the accent because I don't have an accent in Spanish either I sound just mm -hmm. like every other Castilian speaker so okay yeah there you have it uh, I lived in Europe when I was thirteen through seventeen I lived in Belgium and so uh, we visited Spain or I visited Spain once or twice and um, but Barcelona not not up in Madrid. So yeah, or, up in Madrid. Am I saying that right? Is Barcelona be down, down yeah, in Madrid? Yeah, be down, yep. down. Yeah. Uh, okay. So um, creativity, Bree, seems to be a huge part of who you are and who you've always been. Um, how do you define creativity, and how is that? How has how have you played with that over the years? You know, as you've <laughs> written music and written. Um, blogs, articles, a part of a book, um, as you create things for uh, the Center for Action and Contemplation there in Albuquerque with Richard Rohr, uh, talk about creativity. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting that I think we, we have a, a tendency to define creativity as that, the sector of the arts only, right? Mm -hmm. So we kind of assign visual arts, the creative field of, of, uh, you know, music, um, film, acting, uh, painting, sculpture. But I, I really, <laughs> I've come to understand creativity as the basis of how we are. It's, it's, it's the very functioning of life itself. And I don't know that I could have articulated it in that way when I was a, you know, 14 year old picking up a guitar for the first time and writing my first song. Mm -hmm. But I think I just want to clarify that I think creativity is what we're all up to and what we're all doing every day. Um, in our various expressions, it's the process of life becoming that I think we're all doing and being in, in different ways. But, um, I think, uh, probably to do with my childhood in Spain. You know, my dad is very musical. He plays the guitar. He led the, you know, the worship teams on the Sunday. And, but, you know, luckily in the Spanish context, it was just like six people with, with classical guitars, you yeah. know? So, oh, I bet it was gorgeous. Yeah. And I, I think also just the environment of, of the topography of Spain, the, the landscape of Spain, the, the history of it, the music, the dance, the thisness, yeah. the, the passionate nature of that culture that is all about expression, expressions through food, through sensuality, through connection, through creativity, through, through sitting at the table and eating good food all night long, you know, mm -hmm. being out dancing, um, so there, I think I probably received a lot in the way of understanding creativity as 
the essential function of life itself, you know. Um, but in particular for me, when I was 14 is, is the, the time that I picked up a guitar for the first time and discovered for myself, well, actually I should rewind. My parents put us in these art classes, which now I just think is remarkable because my parents were just dead broke. I have no mm -hmm. idea how they afforded to do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, like we were homeless sometimes. Uh, but like, yeah, they put it, they put us in these art classes where we learned, you know, we would go down to this little studio downtown Madrid and there's this, this old man named Ramiro Ramos and he's this art master. He actually has paintings up at the Reina Sofia um, Museum in Madrid and he would be mixing paint, you know, he'd be like mixing the pigment together and he would just kind of let us as kids just like express and paint and, and move and, and he'd just kind of walk shuffle behind us and he would just kind of give us a little bit of instruction here or there on this or that. And um, I think their their love of the fine arts, my parents' love of art, uh, they, they were obsessed with the Impressionists. And uh, so we would travel around to go to these museums and see it. That also impacted my understanding of, of creativity as expression. And then, you know, going back to what I was starting to talk about when I was 14 and picked up a guitar for the first time and discovered, you know, the, the awe and and shock of being able to put something together myself into a song about my own life and translate it into this like thing that connects with people. You know, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Um, all of these different forms of expression, it, you know, this is part of why I love Richard's theology on the Trinity so much, right? Because it's this, it's an idea of seeing God is constantly outpouring God's self into this creative act of becoming with us. And that we're all in that business of pouring ourselves out. We're always in that business of expressing, loving, giving ourselves to something more. Um, I don't, did I answer your question? Yes, I was like, no, so weird. well. And I love that yeah, you... I, no, I loved it. I love that you brought Richard's theology of the Trinity in there too. Even, even in today's meditation, uh, Richard Rohr puts out these daily, well, you guys probably put out these daily uh, thoughts from him, but today was about the three in oneness, meaning like where the diversity meets unity and the diversity dances with unity yeah. and, and one supports the other. Uh, yeah. and, and that's what I hear you talking about right there um, oh. in the, in the gorgeous flow of it. And I, so uh, it, it, I was doing some research on you getting ready for this conversation. And one of your interviews somewhere, you said this thing that I was so intrigued by. And you said regarding creativity, to be in the flow, you inevitably have to let go of something. Yeah. Maybe it's a mental block or an inner assumption. So would you talk more about that? Because I think um, so many times when you think of creativity, of writing music or or literature or prose poetry there's this sense of having to crank something up and get something and connect with something and certainly that's part uh, of it but i yeah. like i really love your thought on no actually it's it starts with letting go, <laughs> letting go. <laughs> talk about that i love that i love that yeah you know this is actually why i think when i when i was introduced to contemplation it didn't feel like a new concept mm -hmm. because it, in many ways i realized that from the minute i picked up a paintbrush as a child or my guitar when i was 14 i've been in this practice of stilling um you know going deep deep still into this deep stillness into this place where you realize and and i think anybody who writes anything has to confess this isn't me i'm not the one doing it i actually i have to get into this deep place of stillness within myself where i get out of the way of what my perceived outcomes need to be um and then it just becomes this sort of playful uh groping in the dark of of trying out avenues and chord progressions and sentences and flow. So, so if I had to describe the creative process, I think one, it starts with, um, it starts with stillness and letting go. It starts with a process of releasing our own agenda and just becoming more attuned to the flow of the moment and being in touch with, you know, what is, and then it's, and then from there, it goes into when we get to that place, when we are in a place of stillness and kind of connectivity and flow, we feel playful because we no longer feel the pressure of having to achieve something or get something done. Then it just becomes about 
playful, joyful trial and error, see what happens. You know, you're just kind of in this experimental creative juncture that becomes really delicious and delightful to be in. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe on that note, or not connected to it, over the years, maybe even just pick a few things, but what do you feel like you've had to let go of um, as it relates to how you engage with God, how you engage with your own self? Yeah, I mean... Oh my goodness, what a question. I think um I think just to begin as a frame, I I like what you're saying about creativity. I think I think creativity is the actual act of the ongoing becoming that we're all part of. And so in that becoming, in that evolutionary flow, uh when I look back on my life, I can see these different chapters as it pertains to my specific beliefs about God and kind of how what my worldview was as an increasingly growing container, um, you know, down to back to when I was, when I was a kid and I was growing up with this very specific theology. I mean, you know, even though my parents were so progressive and, um, so, so concerned with, with serving the community, in essence, we were there to convert the Catholics, you know what I mean? Like we were trying to save them from hell because we thought (laughs) they were lost. Oh gosh. Right. And so, yeah, I think about that. And it's like, even in, in my, um, within my heart, even when I was a kid, there was the sense of, yeah, I hear that, but that feels too small. Those shoes are too tight on my feet and, and not being able to articulate it until maybe I was a teenager, right. That it was like, you know, I, I'm just not sure that I, I'm not sure that that matches my own deep felt experience of God or Jesus or the divine. That's like, it's so much, it's got to be so much bigger than that. It's got to be so much more inclusive than than that. And so I think that longing, that hunger, that is um, almost like a, a continuation of these experiential moments that we've all had of touching in on something bigger, I think is what has driven my own process of, I'll, I'll use Richard's phrase of, um, Instead of saying Ken Wilber's uh, transcend and include, he likes to say include and transcend, right? So it's like my own process of learning how to include each of these containers, each of these chapters of my life, um, you know, from the very conservative Baptist to the uh, evangelical megachurch of my teenage years, you know, being a part of Mars Hill and working with Rob Bell and being a part of that Numa world in that time to even greater and more expansive containers. And um, I think if I had to categorize it, it just seems to be a process of becoming more and more inclusive um, and not just about ideas and theologies, but even of myself, like more and more inclusive of my own humanity, more and more okay with with the ways in which I am absolutely irrevocably messy, human, you know, uh, uh, hypocritical, uh, contradictory, <laughs> a terrible parent, <laughs> <laughs> all that. Oh gosh. Like it all belongs to use a really great line from yeah. a really good Franciscan. Like, I think it's a movement for me. It has been categorized by a movement where more and more everything really does belong. And I think that's so important, Brie. I mean, I think that's such a gracious way, this idea of including the past, including the containers mm-hmm. that you've grown up with. Even though you may look back and say, oh, my Lord, I don't believe that anymore. Yeah. There's a trap, right? Like if you get trapped in judging that so hardcore, then you're really oh, not yeah. free to move into a next level. I mean, you're still right. essentially you're still, yeah. reactive We're, and attached to, right? Yeah. Reactivity is is an interesting thing. It stays with us for a long time. And I think deep down what we're reacting to isn't the container itself. It's a deep disconcerting experience within us of, can I trust that my experience in that container was real, even if I don't believe those things anymore? And we're at war with ourselves because we're like, well, wait a second. I was at that worship service, like, you know, totally hands up. Like I was in it and I was like totally part. And now I look back on it and I'm like, wow, I don't actually feel like I could sing those words with integrity anymore, you know? And, and, 
so, so we judge ourselves so harshly and try to break apart our lives into yeah. these very distinct chunks when we sort of try to cut something off and push it away as though, oh, you know, that whole like chapter at that megachurch, let's just, let's just put that one out. But, but when we think about, you know, the, this phrase of including and transcending, it's like at each stage of our journeys, we're being given such profound gifts of experience and, and um, growth you know, when we look at our kids, for those of us who have kids, would you ever look at your six-year-old and say, you know, when you were three, that was just a real mistake. Like, <laughs> right. like can we just take the three-year-old experience and just chuck it? Because like, you just kept falling and you were like drooling and you just kept peeing yourself. Like, no, we don't say that. You know, this, yeah. when we, when we can reframe things into this language of becoming, yeah. there is so much more grace to include it. And just mm -hmm. be grateful for it. Anyway. Bree, I loved everything you just said. Um, there's so much there. Um, and, and I think, uh, again, the idea of mindfulness and coming present to just what is and where I am now, there's a, there, without judging mm -hmm. uh, my bad parenting uh, mm -hmm. or, or, my raising my hands at the mega church 10 years ago right again i just think it's so, it's it can be a moment of freedom where we realize we're just you know even what we believe now is in some way a construction of reality i mean it's not yeah. like we don't absolutely have it nailed even now no. but right but that's the temptation to believe that okay now now yeah. i'm thinking well, my most clear thoughts I think this is unfortunately one of our, our biggest symptoms of what has gotten so deeply um, out of alignment in Christianity is that we've we've turned our tradition into being right. Ugh. We've we've turned in our tradition into a set of rational, uh, intellectual ascents that if you believe those things with your mind, if you can say these doctrines, if you belong to this Orthodox church, if you, if you're a part of this group and not that group, then you've got the right teaching as opposed to just, um, a relaxation around what should have been at the heart of our tradition all along, which is incarnation, mm -hmm. this continual process of joining Christ in the movement of becoming the body of Christ now like this, like, just as we are in all of our shit show glory. Yep, like, yep, yep. It's, isn't that so much more um, a message of good news than getting it right, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Ugh. Well, that brings me to Teilhard de Chardin. I mean, you're, you, um, again, and somewhere else that you, some interview I listened to, that, that this idea, his theology of matter and spirit are intertwined, right? So, mm -hmm. um, and I know that's so much of what the universal Christ is about by Richard Rohr, but how is this non-dual understanding um, of yourself, of the universe, of Christ shaped how you live, create, parent? Oh my gosh, everything. You know? Yeah, right? Everything. It's like one of those beliefs uh, uh, that, it's like one of those shifts uh, one of those perspective shifts that changes everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so Richard was, um, was deeply influenced by Teilhard because he really was one of the first, if not the first theologian to bring together for us a concrete theology between, um, Christ and evolution. The idea that like, you know, and I, I don't know how many of, of your listeners are familiar with this whole incredible uh discomfort around the e-word that we have in evolution. christianity like evolution no. like, oh. yeah. Yeah. um you know and we do have a lot of work to do to reintegrate uh creation and uh science back into how we think about theology right um i believe it was Ray, uh, another theologian named raymond panikar who said without a healthy cosmology theology is just empty you know, without a healthy framework for how we look at this actual physical cosmos, then it, what we're talking about is is just nonsense. Yeah. And so what I appreciate about Teilhard is that he was, for me, um, starting in, oh my gosh, when, probably when I was 29, um, I discovered some of his work and um, I, I, I stumbled on the hymn of the universe, which is sort of his poetic reflection on this mm -hmm. relationship between matter and spirit and Christ mm -hmm. and evolution. And it just blew my heart 
wide open to suddenly begin to see reality itself as this manifestation of every every place where spirit and matter meet as Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, something that we are all participating in together. So it did two things. One is it finally brought together the created world and the spiritual world, which for so many of us, oh, yeah. we've been living with absolute separate boxes around. And then it put everything into dynamism for me. It put everything in motion under this larger view, historical view of evolution. And the way that that allowed me to relax into this sense of, okay, this process, this business of becoming, we're all in it together. Mm -hmm. And we've been in it together for a long time. Having that deep time perspective that Teilhard offers from like an evolutionary standpoint can be really helpful for us, especially in times like these, where the tendency is to see everything that's happening around us and sort of feel the sense of deep anxiety of like, oh man, we're so screwed. You know, like, how did we get here? What's going to happen? It's never been worse. Right. So, you know, to answer your question, it has, it has impacted my sense of participation in the greater mystery of becoming. Um, It has relaxed me into a deep time view that this becoming thing takes time, that it requires friction, that it doesn't happen without suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, that all of these separation, uh, the, the, this game of separation that we've been up to, of trying to split everything apart, um, all of these ingredients are part of this shared thing that we're, that we're working on together, mm-hmm. that God is working on with us together. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It fills me with hope, and it's it's just a really beautiful reframe of um, what I feel like was a very anemic worldview that yeah. I lived with for a long time. Well, yeah, I mean, I think if you think about, even as you talked about, not necessarily your parents, but the missionary idea of colonialization, essentially, and getting, peop- getting mm-hmm. lost people saved by praying a prayer, which is essentially right. just believing that by mentally assenting whether someone did or not. Uh, then, then their eternal they security. Got a ticket. Yeah, they got a ticket. Yeah, which is the it, it seems to me the exact opposite of what Teilhard was saying. Essentially, yeah. it's like like they're yeah. they're they're separating out matter and right. spirit, and that right, seemed right. to be like the function. Like the no one would have said that, but it seemed like that's what everyone was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, instead of like instead of resting in the mystery of. Christ, a, you know, a Christ-soaked universe, as mm-hmm. Roar says, um, we tried to see all the ways that Christ was obviously absent, and then mm-hmm. insert Christ in there, whether people wanted it or not, which is a kind of violation, really. I mean, anyway, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay, so many more questions, and we're running out of time, Bree. No worries. We can take some more time. It's okay. All right. um, so you at some point enrolled in the living school uh, with Richard Rohr. So like, what was your life like when you decided to do that? Was it a desperate move you had to, to save your faith? Was it a, Oh yeah, no, I'll do it. You know, like what, what? No, it did not save my faith. Oh my gosh. It it really wrecked it. Yes, it did. did. And like put a crack right through it in a Leonard Cohen kind of way. Uh, You know, um, so I had, I had been a singer songwriter for a while out in California. And when somebody introduced me to, to Richard Rohr, they sent me a book mm-hmm. and it was, it was everything belongs. And, um, I had that experience that so many of us have reading his work where it's just like, as he, he's, he's our prophet in the wilderness for those of us who feel expulsed into this other place where that container no longer fits or these teachings no longer feel soul, um, nurturing or life-giving, all of a sudden there's this voice in the wilderness of our own wandering where it's like, oh, we're not crazy. Mm-hmm. We're not alone. There are these people called mystics who apparently tell us that this is the way. Like, yeah. who knew? Yeah. And uh, who affirm these processes of, of not knowing and surrendering and leaning into to this, um, this place that we're in. So I went through that 
uh, and kind of, you know, once I read one of his books, I had to order them all and read them all. And then it was sort of like, if you give a mouse a cookie, I was like, well, who are these mystics? And then I'm like ordering all these books yeah, on, yeah. you know, Meister uh, Julian of Norwich and, you know, uh, whoever I could get my hands on, I was reading and reading and reading. And, um, here in Grand Rapids, where I live, there's a, a really beautiful community called the Dominican S Sisters of Marywood. And they had, as a part of their spiritual direction formation program, they had a year called like spiritual uh, foundations, hmm. foundations on mysticism. Mm -hmm. And so I took that course and it introduced me to a lot about this uh a Christian contemplative tradition that I knew nothing, right? Growing up as an evangelical, especially as a Baptist, was like, who are these people? Right, like, why right. didn't I know about them? Why didn't I know about these movements? And so it was almost like getting to know the 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 rest of my family. Like, yeah. it was like, it was discovering something that in my heart, I, I had longed for an articulation of Christianity that included this just basic experience of God as the primary way of knowing. Um, so... All that to say, I had already taken that course when I um, was weaning my firstborn, Soren, mm. and decided I just needed to get the hell out of Dodge for a weekend yeah. and decided to go with my friend uh, Mandy to a CAC conference. And it was a weekend conference, and it, uh, it was Richard and Cynthia speaking. And that was the first time that he announced the living school. Mm. And he said, we're doing this thing. And, you know, and that, that wasn't a Richard voice we're doing this thing and, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to call it, you know, it's like a, an underground seminary. And, uh, I just remember feeling at those words, a sense of recognition of, ah, yeah, that's, that's mm -hmm. the seminary I want to go to. One that is more focused on transformation than information. Yep. Yeah. Sign me up, you know? So, so that's, um, you know, as soon as they opened up applications to the first year, I signed up. And so I was a part of that first year. The the pan We called ourselves the sacrificial pancake. Ah. And it was tremendous for me. I think it was tremendous for the faculty as well. There's still a lot of nostalgia for us in the relationship between that core class and, mm -hmm. and the faculty, which is Richard, uh, Cynthia Bourgeau, and James Finley. And yeah. it was it's a two-year formational program around um, the... The, this this contemplative Christian contemplative lineage that so many of us don't know about the teachings, but primarily oriented around practice. Yeah. How do we live this? How do yeah. we practice it together? How do we live it out in the world? Yeah, it changed my life. I'm yeah, I can say that with complete honesty. Mm -hmm. That's not an exaggeration. Yeah. Well, it strikes me as so necessary um, a mystical understanding of the universe, of God, of ourselves. Um, and even a good anthropology, Roar talks so much about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I think getting grounded in in that philosophical mm -hmm. uh, grounding is so important, and what so many of us missed. Well, yeah. uh, so you have um, co-hosted this podcast this these last few months, uh, another name for everything with Richard Roar, and it's really just working through his gorgeous book, The Universal Christ. Mm -hmm. And how is that? Been? And I have just, you know, as I've been listening to it, that's why I was like, oh, I I want to interview Brie because your <laughs> questions were always like the questions that I would ask and more. So uh, how has your experience been doing that? Uh, yeah, well, it's not hard to um, get to live out the dream of sitting with one of your core teachers and just mm -hmm. asking him questions, you know, mm -hmm. like that's such, so I want to just acknowledge like what an insane privilege and gift it is. Like it's, it's surreal. Um, and it has been surreal and it, it has been such a gift and so sweet and special. Um, and then secondly, working with that Swanson guy doesn't suck either. Mm -hmm. Like he, he's Paul great. is, he's just fabulous. And, and, um, we've known each other for such a long time now and it's, it's such a joy to get together uh, our, our whole process with the podcast was just as delightful as the actual recording, you know? So we sat down for weeks preparing for each episode mm -hmm. and would go through each chapter and work on the core questions, um, that we wanted to present. So, I mean, it just, it, it has, it has been, um, just like one of the high points of, of my adult life to be able to sit in that little hermitage with Paul and Richard mm -hmm. and, 
and talk and get vulnerable and ask hard questions and not necessarily get answers, but just receive a sense of affirmation and guidance and love that Richard so expertly can give. Yeah. It's like that pastoral heart of his that he has. It's just, it comes through so clearly. Um, yeah. So it's just a joy. I'm going to ask, uh, that doesn't surprise me. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, right. I, yeah. Like what a shocker sitting with Richard is just absolutely awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think you probably, well, I don't know if you can answer this or not, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You know, he's in his seventies and so many people that have let, that have done the long, hard journey like Richard has done just end up being cynical or end up mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. giving answers that are the same freaking answers mm -hmm. that they've given for the last 10 years. And you can sort of sense in their spirit that they, mm -hmm. they are cynical and mm -hmm. he just isn't. Why, why do you think that is, you know, like, like what would your uh, guess be? Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, I do. I do. I'm not sure that I can answer that, but I can mm -hmm. say, I can say that one of the things that I see in him that is so remarkable is his humility mm. and this radical humility that he has, that he has practiced and lived into his whole life um, from his Franciscan heritage, but also just his own heart's vocation and commitment to live this out mm -hmm. makes him the kind of teacher who's just radically transparent. I mean, he is so like he is so transparent with us about his struggles and mm -hmm. the things that he's working on even now, you know, he doesn't put himself up on a pedestal of, of saying, Oh, I've arrived. I got it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's humility. Like it's a deep humility to say that, to be that way. Um, I, and also his commitment and his integrity around, um, the relationship between contemplation and action Yes, it, that keeps this from just you know, it's not just about theoretical, intellectual conversations. It's how do we live this out? Mm -hmm. How does this make us more loving? How does this impact our communities? Um, I think those two things, both his radical humility and his um, integrity around connecting the inner and the outer, the intellectual mm -hmm. with the heart and the lived action mm -hmm. that makes him such a unique teacher, particularly at this juncture in his life. Yeah. Oh, well said. I think that's a, just about the best answer you could have given. Um, okay, Brie, a couple more questions. Um, I, around mindfulness, I read a couple of stories that you've said about your kids and, and they're out there. So, <laughs> but I, but I love them. Like, so one of your kids talked about mom, the, the cheetah in my heart is, is running <laughs> too fast. And, and, and so then you, so yeah. you, you sort of, you know, created a way to, to get my heart's cheetah to lay down. Could you tell, I mean, yeah. talk about, cause that was like, that is so, I have three boys, 12, yes. 10 and 10. And so it's yes. like, Oh, I get that so much. So could you tell that story and sort of, you know, what, what you've learned from that? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think it's so difficult to be parents in a society that's so high achieving and individualistic. So yeah. let's just say that right off the bat, yeah. because it means that whenever we find something new or want to teach something or want to be about something as parents, we inevitably feel the insurmountable pressure. I can't do this. I'm not doing it perfectly. How do I teach this to my kids? You know, so. So one of the things that I've tried to do is just be very relaxed around these ideas of teaching my kids mindfulness or contemplation and letting them really be the ones to bring mm -hmm. it up or or illustrate it or articulate it in their own way. And so my son Soren is the one who told that story, you know, that at one point he got all worked up and he goes, Mama, it's like I have a cheetah in my heart and it's just running and running and running, <laughs> running and running so fast and it just won't lay down. Oh, that's <laughs> and so it was, awesome. It is. It was such a brilliant illustration that um, I then used to explain to him, you know, when, when mom is sitting in the morning, when you see me sitting in stillness, part of what I'm doing is I'm, I'm making space for my cheetah to lay down in my heart, you know, and that really connected with him. But there's so many examples like that where I think if we allow our kids to be the ones to tell us or use their words to communicate what's going on 
there's a million different ways that we can just support them in what I think is already deeply intuitive. For sure. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I think that's the gift of parenting, right? It's like you think you're teaching them really now they're teaching you, you know? Oh my gosh. So one of my twins, his name's Elijah. When he was four, he found a little acorn, you know, in his little four-year-old hand, grubby, dirty. He goes, dad, he, he has it in his palm. And he said, dad, this is an oak tree. Mm -hmm. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And it's like four years old. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the presence of like past, yeah. present, future that he was sensing, seeing was so beautiful. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. I want, I want... I, yeah. Well, I was going to, I was just going to add and say, to say that if all we did as parents is to support the development of awe and wonder in mm. our kids, you know, like that, is that not what we are deeply trying to reclaim in our own desire to live this contemplative life is the kind of attention that can live in that state of awe and wonder to hold an acorn and to see all of time in it, you know, to, it, it makes me think of, um, Mary Oliver, you know, mm -hmm. she, she has that beautiful line where she says, okay, so maybe attention, attention isn't, uh, the perfect prayer, but it must be close Yes, because to live life with that level of attention that opens us up, opens our hearts up to awe and wonder, um, what other goals should we have as parents? It just feels very worthy, like as a simplifying, relaxing way to look at yeah. our core task. Yeah. And when I watch myself in my movie and I see myself getting so worked up that my kids haven't gotten their shoes on in time, you know, that, <laughs> know. as we're heading out the door and get your damn shoes. On. You know, it's yeah. like, okay, um, do I want, and again, I don't want to judge that too harshly, whatever. Sure. You got to get out the door. Yeah, okay. You, still yep. get out the door. you know, life, life is life. Yeah. It's so and funny. when I'm watching the movie though, I'm kind of rooting for the character to care more about wonder and awe, you know, and yeah, a little bit yeah. less about the shoes. And so I'm hoping sure. that the character will me, that is me will encounter some conversations and experiences that helps him remember that, you know, the acorn yes. is really the game. Oh my um, gosh. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Can I, so one quick other thing that maybe it was your other, your other oh. son that said, but, uh, he said, mama, I think God is the net that catches our thoughts so that our hearts can get bigger. Uh, I can't. Yeah. When I yeah, read that, was that I was like, what? <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. I know. And then I think the next minute he was like, anyway, Pokemon, oh, blah, sure. blah, blah, yeah, blah. That's blah, exactly you know, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> These like mystical, like, boom. And then, you know, moving on to life. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think. I think one of the things that I'm trying to um, be membered to remember, mm -hmm. right? So to be mm -hmm. membered to is a sense that really it's our, it's our practices that um, how, it's, it's how we live that is impacting our kids so much more than what we're saying or than the words, than getting the words or the concepts right, you know? And um, Rowan, for whatever reason, has always been my early riser, mm. uh, and he gets up early all the time. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so frustrating, <laughs> yeah. but you know, somewhere along the way, like he realized, okay, if I come down and I sit with mama while she's having her purse sit, then that means I can get up earlier. Like, great, sweet. So, so he was joining me for a while. And I just remember thinking like, I don't know what he's doing over there. I mean, you know, he would wiggle and then he'd whisper, you're done yet. Mm -hmm. And then he'd wiggle some more. You done yet? Yeah. So the fact that that this came out of his mouth was like a real awakening moment for me of realizing we don't, we don't know what, what's connecting. Um, and I didn't teach him that, yeah. that didn't, you know, that didn't come from me. Right. So there is something about presence that presences itself, right. That is like, there's something about choosing to live our lives in a certain way that really does become the waters that our kids swim in mm -hmm. and that they ingest, that they intend, that they internalize, that they articulate in a way that's, it's so profound, like what a gift. And it's, it's also deeply convicting because it's like, yeah, I still sometimes, not sometimes, I think I primarily still operate out of the mentality of like, I have to teach my kids these oh, yeah. things yeah. as opposed to just like, well, what if I were to just live my life this way? 
you know, like it makes me think of this moment and I have shared this recently. I think I talk about it on the next season of the podcast, but I was having this moment as a parent where I was like feeling like I was winning for sure. Like Soren was hyperventilating about something and I was teaching him this breathing technique. So he was calming himself down and I was like, look at me, I'm teaching my kid this like breathing technique, Look, he's doing so good. Look at him, he's calming down. I'm like, yes, mom, I'm winning. I'm a mom, I'm doing this. And right next door in the other twin, twin bed, right next to his brothers, Rowan goes, hey mama, you know what sound you make when you get frustrated and overwhelmed? And I was like, no. And he goes, oh. <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, right. There it is. Yeah. There it is. Like, there's all the humanity. Like, hear me yeah. thinking I'm so mindful as a parent. Yes. I'm not. I'm not. We're just, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and I think it, it, it's it's just lovely that we get encouraged and humiliated in the best way, you know? Totally. Like, yeah. Yep. Oh my gosh. Okay, Brie. So, um, you mentioned the next season, so there will be a next season to another name yes. for everything. Yeah. So are people yes. writing in questions and is that so, still kind of, yeah, well we just, we actually just finished recording the second season. Oh, so wow. that, that happened a couple weeks ago. Um, and, uh, you know, stay tuned for, for news on, on when we're planning on releasing it, but at least, you know, it's been recorded, which was so thrilling to go through. So we basically just asked for people to turn in questions that Mm -hmm. they had and then organize those questions into themes and then took each of those themes and made an episode out of it. So it was just, just as delightful, if not more as the first season and rich and, uh, connecting, you know, to feel ourselves in community with so many other people asking these questions. So I'm really excited about it. I, I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm so glad there's going to be another season because mm-hmm. uh, I love the first one. So um, I'm going to say this, listeners. So um, we've been talking a lot about Richard Rohr. The, univer- the Universal Christ is his latest book, and I'm sort of calling that his magnum opus. I mean, maybe it's not, yeah. but it certainly no, I seems agree. like it. Um, and I, I think people could start there, but I, if you haven't read any Richard Rohr, Brie, what would you say? Everything Belongs would be a good place to start, Falling Upward? Yeah, I think Everything Belongs and Falling Upward are are just so accessible. If you were to look at them on, on you know, the, the descriptions, you would know which of the two you felt yeah. most called to read at this juncture of your life, depending on where you are or what you're struggling with or what you're asking or what's what what's making your heart come alive right now but yeah, yeah. those two books are great but so is this one <laughs> yeah no i i, I agree. it's it's spectacular uh this book it's really it's remarkable my wife mary is reading it too and she she's she's saying i i'm i'm weeping as i'm reading this because in a sense this is he's saying things that i've thought Yes. But 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 no one has put it all together in this way and yeah, it's, it's so the greatest freeing. gift that's one of his greatest gifts is that he's he has been um, and able to articulate and be the voice for so many of us mm-hmm. uh, in a way that helps us see, yeah, oh my goodness, what I hoped for, mm-hmm. would, what I hoped could be true about what it meant to be a Christian, he um, gives flesh to it and makes it real. I, yeah. I agree 100%. Well, what about you, Brie? Like, is there anything you're working on that we can get in touch with um, oh, personally, like stuff, the music or writing or anything? <laughs> this life thing. You know, <laughs> this this, this dumb live. little life thing. Yeah, no, you know, I did start an album project a few years back that's taking me literally forever to finish. Um, and it's actually, uh, it's, a, it's a huge departure from a lot of my um, singer-songwriter type stuff. And it's in collaboration with a bandmate, and our our collaboration name is called Avila after Teresa oh. of Avila. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, we started working together because we were doing a lot of commercial work and doing a lot of jingles, and then we just enjoyed working together so much. We started recording music, so we're working on trying to put that out. Hopefully, that'll come out in the next year. Fair warning, it's actually all dance, kind of dance beat music, R and B, electronic. Uh, cool. So, like I said, it's a big departure. Yeah. But it was written in a time in my life when um, I was going through a lot of personal difficult changes and I needed music to move to. Like mm-hmm. it was part of my own healing to move my body in that way. And so I just wanted to write some music that maybe had a bit more consciousness to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. 
Right. But still, there's still a lot of babies. I've never sung so many babies in my life and babes. So there you go. Um, yeah. But <laughs> other than that, you know, Steve, I'm just I'm very much uh, enjoying the season of my life of working for the center and um, working on a few other projects and being invested in my kids' lives. I live a block from their school. Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm in a season of this kind of rich womb-like time of presence and being and growing and, you know, having my ass handed to me daily. Uh, I do have a blog that I suck at writing on, which is called the journey of becoming. Um, I will try to work on blogging more regularly, but that's it. That's kind of it for me. Uh, if I could learn how to consistently cook for myself and the children without burning it, like that would be a real, (laughs) like, is there a contemplative course on cooking? I want to take it. Oh, I don't know, man. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. So I'm going to put on the show notes, you guys, I'll put the, the books that Richard, uh, wrote that we've referenced. Another name for everything is the podcast that Bree and Paul co-host with Richard, but the books are called universal crisis is the latest one. Everything belongs is a, a, a great one. I, I think is a great place to start falling upward as well. Two halves of life is what that one talks about. And then Brie, I will link to your blog, The Journey of Becoming. Uh, can we follow you on Twitter or Instagram or anything? Are you active <laughs> on, on, on those worlds? No, I'm terrible. I am on Twitter. I think I am on Twitter. So yeah, you okay. can follow me on I'll Twitter. I'll link you Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm so bad at social media. It's like, oh. Who's so good at so? I mean, like, yeah, right, to the right. person who's good at it, and I don't know that I want to know that person. Do you <laughs> there know what it I mean? is. Yeah, there it is. Oh, it's Lord. True. Okay. Yeah. Well, this was lovely. Thank you so much, Bree. This is everything I hoped it would be in terms of just a great me. conversation. Yeah, so. no, it was. It was delightful to talk about all these things with you. It's really, really a treat. Thank you. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook. Uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.